Talk about a state of emergency. It was just one year ago this week at 8.07 a.m. Hawaii time, January 13th, 2018, that an alert went out to cell phones throughout the islands. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill, it read. For the next 38 minutes, there was near pandemonium. Some islanders and tourists were confused. Others were terrified and panicked, shutting windows, taking cover in bathrooms and basements, crowding into police stations, seeking shelter in parking garages. One man had a heart attack. It took 38 minutes before a correction went out from the state's emergency management agency. No, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un had not unleashed one of his recently tested intercontinental ballistic missiles on the Hawaiian islands. It was a big giant mistake. An agency employee during a shift changeover had inadvertently pressed the wrong button. Really? One worker can press one wrong button and create panic throughout an entire state? How exactly can that happen? What's been done to make sure it doesn't happen again? And what does this say about how vulnerable are the country's emergency alert systems to say outside hackers and foreign adversaries who might try to do the same thing? That's our subject on this episode of Buried Treasure. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, chief investigative correspondent for Yahoo News. My colleague, Dan Clydman, is off today, so I'm going to be talking about the Hawaiians' emergency management screw-up to my Yahoo colleague, Jenna McLaughlin, who's actually in Hawaii this week attending a conference, but has agreed to take a look back at one of the real colossal screw-ups in emergency management history. Jenna, good morning out there in Hawaii. Good morning, Mike. It's, it's good to be here at bright and early at 6 in Hawaii time. Yeah, well, appreciate you getting up early for Buried Treasure. So I was always astounded by that emergency management alert in Hawaii. It, to me, it resonated to, uh, you know, Cold War days, failsafe, Dr. Strangelove, somebody screws up and people imagine a giant nuclear explosion going on. And by the way, I was reminded of it just two weeks ago when we had another screw up when the U.S. Strategic Command on New Year's Eve posted on Twitter that uh, infamous uh, message just as Times Square ball was dropping on New Year's Eve. uh, Times Square tradition rings in the new year by dropping the big ball. If ever needed, we are ready to drop something much, much bigger That was uh, from the U.S. Strategic Command, the people who are in control of our nuclear weapons. But tell us, what have we learned about how that happened and uh, who was responsible for it? Absolutely. So it's funny that you mentioned specifically that for you, that moment was really visceral, that you sort of remember Cold War days, because 
I think for me and, and a lot of my friends back in Washington, we sort of saw the alert after it had already happened. We said, oh, you know, that's sort of comical that somebody changing shifts, you know, really screwed up and pressed the wrong button, but we didn't really think much of it. But that's incredibly different from being here in Hawaii on Oahu, where every single person that I've spoken to from Uber drivers to some of the participants in our conference who are much more familiar with nuclear issues, they literally remember that day and they know what they were doing, who they were with, what phone calls they made, how they felt. It's just a completely different experience being with these people. So obviously since that day and since those 38 minutes, we found out more about what happened. It's a bit complicated. Um, I was speaking with one of the local broadcast reporters here, and she was talking about how they sort of have investigated specifically the notorious button pusher who yeah. was on a shift change. And, and he pressed the wrong button from the drop down menu. But actually, he thought that the threat was real. Because so wait, the guy, the, hearing... the state worker at the emergency management system, when he pressed that button, yeah. he thought there really was an incoming missile headed towards Hawaii. He did. And he did why, at that time. And why did he think question. that? So he thought that from what we know, because he was doing sort of these, these tests within the facility saying, you know, this is a drill, but something in his brain heard that as this is not a drill. And he immediately sort of selected that option from the drop-down menu. And I think since then, there's been kind of scuttlebutt from his colleagues who said that he wasn't a very trustworthy person, that they were sort of concerned about him. And I'm not sure if that's kind of a malicious sort of thing, but, you know, it ends up being kind of dramatic. And he said, she said, but there's been a lot of kind of change in the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, Hyena. They've gotten a bunch of different employees there. Their spokesperson has left. It was kind of pandemonium. But, you know, when people seek answers about what they've really changed, it's more in theoretics. They're like, oh, you know, we're going to get a second person to make sure that that alert doesn't go out until two people have seen it and read it. Um, But besides that, it's kind of short on information. Right, right. And I should uh, point out that, you know, it's worth sort of understanding what the context was of, of what was going on in, in the world Absolutely. at the time, which is that our president, Donald Trump, and Kim Jong-un were sort of engaged in this personal war of words and threats that really was unnerving to a lot of people just shortly before that the emergency management alert, Trump had taunted Kim on Twitter saying, uh, and this is an actual presidential tweet, uh, will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I too have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works. Talk about braggadocio. And, you know, the context was that Kim Jong-un was uh, firing off intercontinental ballistic missile tests, right? Right. Yes. I mean, at the time, there was a lot of heightened tension between Kim Jong-un and President Trump. And the people here, while not everybody is necessarily an expert on sort of the North Korean conflict and the relationship with the United States, they do have this sort of slightly more emotional kind of understanding of the conflict, thinking, oh, you know, we are meant to think that Kim Jong-un is crazy that he could destroy Hawaii or Guam or sort of a more close by location kind of instantly. And and they had this just 
sort of immediate reaction, even though the missile alert did not say that it was coming from North Korea. You know, it, it could have been coming from Russia, from elsewhere. But people immediately just thought, oh, my gosh, it's it's the crazy North Korean leader. You know, he finally did it. He finally well, it you know, I think there's, you know, was legitimate questions about who was crazier, Kim Jong-un. Oh, the guy who he, tweets, I, yeah. too, have a nuclear button and it's much bigger and more <laughs> exactly. powerful than yours. But and by the way, I should point out that Trump himself was at the time in Mar-a-Lago golfing when all this right. took place and he was briefed about it. And you would think that, you know, most presidents might send out some kind of soothing message. Don't worry. I'll look into this, make sure it never happens again, but you got nothing to worry about. In fact, right. uh, Trump was focused on something else at the time. And that was the book that had just come out, Fire and Fury by Michael Wolff, quite critical of the Trump White House. So what does Trump tweet that day? Nothing soothing and comforting about what happened in North Korea. He's focused on fake news. So much fake news is being reported. This is Trump's tweet that day. They don't even try to get it right or correct it when they are wrong. He's not talking about the Hawaiian missile alert. They promote the fake book of a mentally deranged author who knowingly writes false information. The mainstream media is crazed that we won the election. The president tweeted that Saturday night. So um, good to know that our president was, you know, had his priorities straight on uh, what to send to the American people. For some people, you know, checking Twitter was the way that they were keeping in touch with emergency updates. I mean, I know at least a couple of tourists and and people who were just hooked up to Twitter waiting for news. And that was good for local officials and, and those in, in Washington, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, posted something, I think within 20, 22 minutes. So people who were engaged on Twitter knew about it more quickly. So a, a message from the president, whether it was a tweet or something else would absolutely have been beneficial for people. Right. So that day, Senator Brian Schatz, who's the uh, senator from Hawaii, put out on Twitter, what happened today is totally inexcusable. The whole state was terrified. There needs to be tough and quick accountability and a fixed process. So what accountability has there been? Was there an after action report detailing exactly what happened? You know, has that been made public? What happened to the guy who pushed the wrong button? What do we know a year later about the accountability for this, uh, you know, horrific mistake? So we don't know a ton. We know that the button pusher was fired. We know that there has been a study since then. Uh, There was an inspector general report about how involved FEMA was in this and whether or not it was their fault and their responsibility. Because FEMA manages the nationwide system of these alerts, um, although in sort of a convoluted bureaucratic way where they're not really entirely involved, which happens a lot with these sorts of things. So at this point, if you if you contact Taima, which we have during the conference, they don't have a whole lot to say. They kind of mention, you know, okay, we'll be we'll be back to you later with updates if we have anything to share but they're pretty tight-lipped about it. And that's interesting because people are still just so angry here. I mean, the day of when people were calling 911, they were sort of learning that this was false and they were screaming at people and saying, you know, you need to go get them. They need to be held accountable. And people even still today are sort of seeking answers in these ways. There are some of these old military shelters on, on, the southern part of Oahu that community members are sort of trying to get converted into working bunkers 
but the military has not really engaged with that request. And it's, it's so interesting and, and reflective of kind of a conflict additionally between all of the military presence here and some of the, the local Korean people. Right. And there are all sorts of questions raised. I mean, you said that the, the guy who pushed the wrong button has been fired. And uh, I believe uh, he's working at FedEx or something. But yeah, he's uh, working at FedEx. I mean, has anybody ever heard his account of how he came to actually think that there was a incoming missile headed to Hawaii? I think not directly. He hasn't really been interviewed on the record or anything like that. I think mostly because people were scared for his safety. There were death threats coming into that state right. for, for weeks. Right. And, you know, sort of a couple questions that leap out at me. Number one is what kind of background checks are done on the people who do have the power to create panic throughout an entire state by pressing the wrong button? Because all it takes is one disaffected worker who didn't get their paycheck because of a government shutdown, say, um, who might get angry and say, screw this, I'm going to press a wrong button here and show the world what's going on. That's one set of questions. And then another set of questions, which I think is more intriguing, is one you've raised, which is the vulnerability that our command and control systems could have to rogue actors because of uh, cybersecurity uh, issues, whether private hackers or state-sponsored hackers who could replicate uh, just such a scenario. Absolutely. And that's something we've been talking about at the conference is that as hackers sort of proliferate in the world, then it becomes easier and easier for less wealthy, uh, less resource states to do this sort of thing, that it could be something that they consider, and, and not just states, but also terrorist groups who might want to incite widespread panic. It's unclear how difficult it would be to sort of simulate a, a real message that would be looking like it came from the government, um, but it's certainly something that could be attempted. Can I can I just break in there? I mean, sure. uh, the Internet Research Agency, the uh, notorious Russian troll farm, mm-hmm. actually pulled off something similar to this back in 2015. And there was a big uh, New York Times uh, magazine story about this in which they replicated a CNN news webpage and said there'd been a chemical explosion at a parish in Louisiana that... Right. Uh, dangerous fumes were uh, throughout the parish and people were being injured. It was all a fake story, but right. they were able to post on Twitter a, a exact replica of a CNN news page. So that strikes me as uh, evidence that, you know, just such a replication is doable for an emergency management system. Absolutely. And not only doable, but as people become able to do it, more likely, I think, probably to, to incite panic. And I think one of the aspects that isn't mentioned is that there's this danger of sort of a cry wolf effect, that the more fake things that proliferate from fake messages to, to deep fakes, which are sort of videos where people are uh, doctored to say something that they never said, people will start to question everything that is officially sent out to them, which is in a way good because, you know, sometimes these things aren't real. But at the same time, it might get people to the point where they're not responding to official advice. You know, they're not seeking shelter. They're going in their cars, which is the worst place you could be during a nuclear event. You know, you're going to get so much more exposure. You're absolutely not going to survive. 
and it's it's kind of this cycle of fear and panic and misinformation, and it's really a potential disaster. Didn't happen. Yeah, I agree. And that was one reason we wanted to highlight this issue on this episode of Buried Treasure. And all I can say, Jenna, is, uh, you know, we count on people such as yourself to separate the fake news and fake panic alerts from the real ones. So, uh, Jenna McLaughlin, thanks for joining us on uh, this episode of um, Buried Treasure and enjoy Hawaii. Thanks for having me. I will. Thanks to Jenna McLaughlin for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you on Friday.